hello and welcome to a very special bonus edition of the Shot Reverse Shot podcast, where we will be talking about The Dark Knight Rises. Spinning off from last month's podcast on blockbusters, we are talking about perhaps the blockbuster event of the summer, uh, Christopher Nolan's conclusion to his Bat trilogy. Um, we're going to be talking about it in depth and we're going to be uh, pulling it apart and you know praising it and uh, possibly dissing it. Um, but I'd just like to warn you now, if you haven't seen the film or you don't want it ruined for you, then do not listen to this podcast. Uh, although brilliant as it may be, it will ruin the film for you because uh, we are going to get spoiler-tastic. Um, Ed, you saw the film on Saturday, Sunday? Uh, Saturday. I saw it yesterday, and um, I... Well, I'll tell you what I thought about it after you tell me what you thought about it. I mainly know Batman from the films. I'm not like a massive comics nerd. The, the first exposure I had to, to Batman was uh, Batman Returns, because mm-hmm. I was too young to watch the original Tim Burton Batman in the cinema, but I was the right age, more or less, to watch the freaky one, which starts with a baby being thrown down a river, which I don't think you should show to a six-year-old, but never mind. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Yeah. That's true. Uh, and Mo- but Moses wasn't <laughs> raised by penguins, which I think is where the Bible misses a trick. <laughs> yeah, um, agreed. Yeah, uh, but uh, so... And, yeah, growing up, I mainly knew it. I never really read the comics until the Nolan films started coming out and people would refer to ones that were influencing his films. Mm -hmm. Other than that, it was, like, the Burton films, the Schumacher films, uh, and the animated TV series from the 90s, which I still think is probably the definitive visual medium versions of it other than the comics. So I'm not, like... I'm not one of these people who's, like, massively a huge fan of the character in general or... uh, interested in like fidelity to the source material or anything like that so putting that out of the way uh i really liked it i thought it was a really good in terms of the other films Mm -hmm. i thought it worked really well as a conclusion to the story that nolan had been telling although um i think we'll we'll talk about maybe the ending in a minute uh i'm not entirely sure he picked the right way to go with the ending because he kind of had two possible choices and he kind of chickens out from one of them Mm -hmm. um but I thought it was really it was it was a satisfying conclusion uh, for the character of Bruce Wayne, and as a film itself, I thought it worked really well. Uh, but you know, it's it's kind of amped up to uh, an insane degree, even in comparison to the to Dark Knight, which was already a fairly a fairly big film to begin with in terms of the events in it. And uh, as such, I think it, it the flaws of it are amplified, even though. I also think it's kind of a more ambitious film in terms of its scope and maybe its attempts to uh, at commentary, which is something that Nolan's always been quite interested in. But this, with this film, you know, the, the last one was essentially about terrorism in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. The Dark Knight and the relationship between Batman and the Joker. And this one kind of tackles the disparity between wealth and poverty in America which uh, is perhaps a too big a subject to try and ta- tackle in a Batman film. Mm. But um, I, I admired that he kind of reached for that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it, it's a bit muddled, I would say. Uh, certainly the first act is kind of clunky because he has to try and reintroduce all of the characters and say what everyone's been doing for eight years. And, you know, that's kind Add of... some new ones as well. Yeah, so... On top of having to kind of like say, oh, Gordon's doing this, uh, 
Harvey Dent's become also having to explain the fact that the Gotham has changed and has mm. basically become a police state in like the last eight years. Batman's no longer around. Bruce Wayne is a hermit, and Morgan Freeman apparently still works for him, even though he quit at the end of the last one, which I'm not well, entirely sure about, unless he rescinded his resignation when they blew up all those tellies but whatever he's morgan freeman he can do what he likes yeah that's true he's god yeah you know he can he can just show up and be like yeah i'll stay um in the blockbuster podcast that we did um i said that i feared for the film because three is rarely the uh magic number yep. for trilogies um even in good trilogies the third one ten generally tends to be not the strongest mm-hmm. how did you feel this one stacked up against the other two uh, I think it's messier than either of its predecessors. I definitely concur. Uh, but I think because I think it was it was try it had a a lot of a it had a tougher job than either of the other ones because it they they went into it knowing it was going to be the finale. They mm. they they went in knowing they had to end the story in some way, and that's kind of the hardest part of any. That's why so many third films fail in trilogies, because they have to try and resolve everything. And I think that it, with with that kind of burden, it managed to, it managed to do fairly well at resolving everyone's, like, plot lines and, and leaving things in a, in a good place, more or less, at the end. But that the, the kind of, I think it had a, it struggled to kind of get... I think the last act is really strong. I think that's really... It, it ends really, really well. But that there's kind of a, a muddled first two that uh, didn't bother me in either of the previous two films, even though I think those problems might still be there, but maybe I didn't notice because I liked those two films a bit more. Yeah. Um, I... I liked the film. I'll yeah. shock you. Um, <laughs> that I um, enjoyed the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end, as soon as the, you know, we saw the last shot or whatever, I was, I felt satisfied that that yeah. had wrapped up the trilogy in a very nice way. But mm. about five minutes later, I'd started to think about what I'd just seen. Right. And if it wasn't a film that demanded to be taken seriously so much, I wouldn't have thought about it, but if you start to pull slightly at some of the bits, it kind of unravels. Mm. And in my head, I'm not sure that the, like you say, the the flaws are kind of amplified as much as the uh, the, the good stuff is amplified in this last film. I'm not sure if they, they kind of almost just cancel each other out. Right. And I came out of it with a, with a, a kind of not, um, I can't well, help thinking of the negatives to to take away from the positives because right. there's a there's an awful lot in there that I did enjoy. Mm. But then, for instance, spoiler number one: uh, when Bane perishes, literally as soon as he's dead, I forgot he was in the film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can see what you mean because up until up until he pretty much destroys Batman mm-hmm. in that fight. Good fight. Yeah, it's a good fight, a very good fight, and and I think that that serves a really good purpose overall in the story because um it you know it takes bruce wayne to his lowest ebb Mm -hmm. but also it's kind of it it demonstrates what you know nolan said about bane or in the lead of this which is that he's the most formidable foe that batman has seen because he's like obviously everything's being planned out by um 
Marianne Cotillard. But um, until you know that, it just seems like Bane's this like really kind of smart guy who's like got this this uh, ludicrously complex plan that he seems to be just like going through a very in a very methodical way. It's mm. not like the Joker who always seemed to improvise around what was ever happening and seemed to just have lots of contingencies going because he kind of knew that maybe something wouldn't work and then something else will and so he just kind of flails around and was this sort of chaotic chaotic force Mm -hmm. uh with bane he seemed to be quite methodical but he was also this hulking great terrifying figure with a mask and um a very strange distractingly clear and adr'd (laughs) voice why Um, hello yeah it was very it was very uh at times, it felt a bit Terry Thomas. <laughs> it did a little. Um, um, I was, I was really confused by his voice. Mm. Uh, why they'd? I mean, I, I didn't hear the original. You know, that was shown in the prologue that people were complaining about. Uh, was it the same voice but less clear? Yeah, it was. It was. It was less. It was. It was nowhere near as obviously voiceover as that was. It felt natural. Yeah, to it the didn't feel to, natural, the, to the rest yeah. of the soundtrack. Yeah, like the first every time. I don't know if it's. I mean, you you clearly had the same problem. I didn't know if it was the problem with the cinema or or be, just uh, showing it or whatnot. But I I thought it didn't it didn't feel like it was part of the rest of the soundtrack at all. No, it, it didn't sound like they'd recorded the lines anew and like and made them clearer. It sounded like they just took the original tracks and maybe just got rid of all of the extra sound around it. Yeah, which I found really really distracting. It didn't bother me. And like after after I got used to it and thought, well, okay, that's that's the way he sounds in the film. It didn't matter that much. Mm. But the first couple of times he spoke, I was just like, they've gone too far in the opposite <laughs> direction. <laughs> Everyone yeah. complained that he was too muffled. Now he's way too clear. Yeah, he's, uh, like he's psychically communicating with everyone. Yeah. Um, another issue I had with the film was um, the Jennifer Love Hewitt character. Um, <laughs> and by that I mean Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah. Um, uh, his character just wanders into the film mm. and immediately susses who Batman is. Yeah. Without and on the basis that he was basically saw Batman at kind of like a meet and greet, <laughs> and when he was a child, yeah, and instantly recognised the fact he certainly saw Bruce Wayne at a meet and greet. Yeah as a child at an orphanage and instantly sussed he was Batman, became a policeman, and then later on just walked up to him and said, oh, yeah, you're Batman, aren't you? And then Bruce Wayne says, yeah, actually, I am. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't make any attempt to, to kind of do that. Um, that character, and I really liked that character, mm. the actual, when he was being a cop, yeah. less the, when he was being a, Partic- a function of the plot. Particularly once he was actually doing detective work mm-hmm. and kind of like sussing out, you know, he figured out what Bane's plan was yeah that was actually quite compelling because he seemed like a real character and also his involvement in like the resistance after bane essentially takes over gotham city yeah which i actually could have stood to see, to see more of yeah i i felt like because uh, bane establishes a kind of he releases all the prisoners uh, and then all the prisoners kind of take all the rich people out of their houses. But then it seems like the nicest police state of all time. <laughs> like there's no one on the streets. Yeah. Matthew Modine can still wear, you know, a nice jumper when they go mm. around his house a bit later. There's yeah. no, there doesn't seem to be any poverty happening. There doesn't seem to be any, even though any civil unrest or anything. Even though it's established that it's been 
five months or so that that's been going on. Yeah. It's always mentioned at some point. It's been about five months. I mean, like, you know, there's things to do. Like, they're getting supplies and things from the U.S. government because they're mm. essentially holding the city hostage. Yeah. So I can understand that sort of thing. But, yeah, it was really... It seemed really empty and ghost towny rather than... And when the guys are out trying to figure out which van's got the bomb in it, they just, just kind of... They're empty streets. Yeah. And, and they're not questioned. Which would make them... Yeah, which would make them stand out a little bit as the only people out on the streets. Yeah, that seemed a little bit... It seemed odd yeah. in the film that that didn't... You know, we didn't really feel like the citizens of Gotham were being held hostage. Yeah, it was a bit. Yeah, it was. It did seem very gentle. But then again, I suppose uh, Bane's ultimate plan, or Bane and Talia Al Ghul's, uh, which inst- incidentally, I think IMDb are being huge bastards by listing Marion character, Marion Cotillard's character as. Uh, whatever Miranda Tate slash Talia al Ghul because that is meant to be on that is meant to be a twist in the film yeah I think including that does kind of it's like uh putting Spacey down as Kaiser Soze in yeah the suspect. but yeah I think that um Blaine's ultimate plan was that the bomb that they had jury rigged was going to blow up anyway mm. so I think maybe they probably didn't care that much about main what you know anyone else was doing just so long as they cowed the citizenry, I yeah. guess. Mm, yeah, I think especially um, because there's no, there's there's only like seemingly only about six policemen left in the city because the rest are all underground being fed, sent downstairs uh, under the the city in what must amount to the least intelligent bit of policing ever. Yeah, let's send every single police person down, apart from three cops. Yeah. I think Matthew, all the ones that have got like you know star billing. Yeah, can stay on the surface. Um, uh, also, issue there, they're down there for five months, not a single beard between them. Yeah, well, they, they must, might be sending razors down. Yeah, you've got, you've got <laughs> to keep up appearances. I think another problem that I had another major problem is just how long a con uh Marion Cotillard's character was playing because if, if you kind of dial it back to when this plan must have been begun yeah uh even given the flashbacks makes it even more unlikely it, it seems and this is coming from a person who thought that Liam Neeson was a semi-ghost in the first film <laughs> um it seems like uh uh quite an elaborate thing which is in the film it kind of works when you watch it but then you know, like, like me I just went back and thought about it and thought yeah. oh, hang on what's she been doing what this is a you know what if you hadn't got the job yeah uh, you know it's, it seems uh what i'm think i'm trying to say is is that writing in the third one seems more slapdash than yeah. in the first two i think because the the second one definitely had its real problems yeah with there were some bits that were so extraneous or they were lazily done like my the, my biggest bugbears with the second one was the whole bullet investigation where they they pull that bullet yeah, out of a wall. I mean, that doesn't make just, any sense. Yeah, and then the whole thing on the boat, it was a, an act too far. Fine, but the rest of the film was pretty sterling. Mm. Whereas um, the, Dark, uh, the Dark Knight Rises, ha- there was an awful lot of, of expositionary dialogue. And, and then again, this is countered by what I liked about the film. Mm. The scenes between uh, Alfred and Bruce Wayne were lovely. They're they re- were very heartwarming. They actually yeah. found some emotional depth in the characters, yeah. which was really nice. And you realise that over the three films, you have got to know and kind of care about these people. Mm. But then it, it, it kind of uh, uh, goes back on that hard work by labouring the plot to such a degree mm. that, you know, it, it kind of strips back from those nice moments. Yeah. And it also, uh, I think, 
this is also it's also uh this is the first one in, in which since the first one that um Bruce Wayne has kind of had an arc. Yeah. In the first one he has the arc of becoming Batman. Mm-hmm. Then the second one he's just Batman all the way through. He doesn't really like he, he kind of wants to give it up, but he's not really quite there yet. Whereas this one he starts at a low ebb, rises up a little bit, then falls to like the absolute lowest he's ever been, and then you know rises up again. So you kind of feel as if, you know, he actually has, you know, had something kind of happen to him in this one. And I think Christian Bale was very, he was very good at at, at conveying that. Um, I think at heart, I think Christopher Nolan is quite, he's he's a filmmaker whose films kind of have these very elaborate plots, but they're all kind of built around sort of cause of emotion. Mm Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, often grief. Grief seems to be the driving force of pretty much every film he's made. Um, and I think, certainly in his last two films, like this this one and Inception, I think it, he's kind of seems to have reached the point where he doesn't think so much about the story as long as it kind of ends up having the emotional impact that he wants. Right. Like, Inception, people say, oh, it's all about reality and dreams and what's real, and it's, it's not, mm. because... That's not a film in which you're meant to at any point wonder what's real or it's clear. It's pretty clear what mm-hmm. is and isn't a dream. Uh, what it's all about is about a man realizing his involvement in the death of his wife and eventually, you know, finding redemption through that. And this one is about a man who's so overwhelmed by brief, grief over the death of the love of his life that he's retreated and cut himself off for the world and then gradually you know finds something to live for again or mm-hmm. something to almost to die for as well um i think whether or not for, for me i don't really care that much about the plot holes or the things that don't make sense because in the end it had that emotional impact upon me i did feel something for those characters and so i did the only i didn't really notice any problems with the plot whilst watching it or even that much afterwards until people actually pointed them out to me Mm because i was just so invested in the emotional side of the story i think that for me is kind of the ultimate thing that seems to be the ultimate point in which the like you and i both like the film but in terms of the people who hate the film who really hate it Mm -hmm. they just go after the 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 things in the plot that don't make sense and you could i mean i suppose you could do any film really and you could just pull that apart yeah um, I mean, to any degree, but you... Citizen Kane is built on the biggest plot hole in movie history, which is no one's in the room to hear him say Rosebud. Him say yeah. Rosebud. Um, so yeah. there should not, there logically shouldn't be a film after that point, but it doesn't matter because the film's the film's great. It's all right, is it? Yeah, it's yeah. not bad. It's, fun- not it's functional. <laughs> yeah, it does the job. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that The Dark Knight Rises is Citizen Kane, but you know, it's it's the same basic principle, which is that you know, if the the the, the plot particulars don't necessarily all have to kind of line up they don't all have to uh have to fit together entirely neatly if the overall effect is achieved mm. uh and i think that's particularly true like the only the only f- films in which i think that's the case is like a mystery film where all of the things do have to kind of fit together because that's the point of the story is like making sure you have a functional mystery at the end. Did of you it. ever read The Big Sleep? The Raymond oh, Chandler. Yeah, except that one. <laughs> yeah, because uh, um, Raymond Chandler went to his grave regretting that there's one murder in that that book that he didn't 
He didn't explain. Yeah. There's the chauffeur ends up, I think it's the chauffeur, he ends yeah, up he... Uh, dead in a car and they, and they never resolve yeah. who did it and you still don't yeah. know at the end. Uh, and he didn't realise that until they were making the film version, yeah. didn't they? Because uh, uh, Howard Hawks phoned him up <laughs> and, <laughs> and said to him, uh, who, who killed the chauffeur? And he was like, uh, damn, they uh, fine now. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. causes. Um, but yeah, uh, someone uh, in the book killed him. Yeah, someone did definitely. <laughs> Maybe it was unrelated. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of going back to um, the the ending, which mm. you, you touched upon briefly, um, there's a kind of uh, montagey bit at the end, isn't there? Yeah. Um, which kind of ties up a lot of things. I did have an issue with with there's a, a slightly cheap edit where. Uh, Batman is flying away with the bomb and we see him in the cockpit yeah. literally seconds before it detonates. Um, I mean, we you knew what was going to happen, but yeah. th- that edit was a slightly cheap way of doing that, yeah. which is very clumsily foreshadowed earlier when Morgan Freeman is talking about the autopilot being yeah. on the blink. Um, um, so yeah, there's, uh, there's that. But then the, the ending... Um, I really felt that, and this is, I've since reading on that interweb, mm. uh, this is becoming a common complaint, uh, which is a nice complaint uh, to, to put for the film because it means that people out there are exp- expecting more in this kind of silly literate type way, mm. that um, he goes a shot too far in the Florence cafe scene right? where we, we talk earlier, uh, Alfred reveals this nice um, dream he has that he goes to Florence every year on holiday and he looks over and sees Bruce Wayne with a family, and they don't speak. They just have a moment where they nod in recognition. That things know, have things, that are things are okay. Are, they're okay, and they've moved on. And you know, predictably enough, we get that moment later in the film, mm-hmm. and we see Michael Caine look up, and Michael Caine is what I'd call a reasonably good actor, <laughs> and he sells the fact that he's seen Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And but then they show it. Yeah, they show they cut it. Cut to it. It's that Inception moment where they they. What he did in Inception was they cut away before the the spinning top fell. Fell. Yeah. And it leaves it up to you. And I think that would have been a lovely ending to the mm, film. Yeah. But I'm, I'm wondering whether that's uh, he's had his hand forced there yeah. slightly by the WB brass. It does seem like, as I was saying about the emotional thing, is perhaps pushing a little too hard for that emotional response there. Because I do think you know it achieves if if he's if you've gone to the trouble of describing the scene earlier in the film mm-hmm. and then. Right before the Florence bit, Morgan Freeman says, someone tells Morgan Freeman that the autopilot was fixed. Mm. It, you don't need that final... It, it is like, I, I don't think it's like hugely detrimental, but yeah, I do think it's... No, I mean, it, it doesn't ruin the end, but it's no. just, I, I think that... It does feel as if it's just kind of going, oh yeah, and, and it, it's Bruce, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, with, with Catwoman. With Catwoman. On holiday. Yeah. Um, I didn't see any little kittens uh, no. knocking around. Bat kittens. Bat kittens. Battens. Oh, I'll tell you what, that's a thing I really did like, what they did for Catwoman's ears. Yeah, with the goggles. Really clever. It was a really nice thing. And no one calls a Catwoman either, As which well. is very nice. Um, but uh, no, but back she to was, the end. She was great, by the way. I thought yeah. Hathaway was great. Well, uh, that's yeah. the highlight of the film for me. Um, not in a kind of uh, masturbating geek way that there's a, an attractive lady in leather. Although there is that. There is that, yep. Um, she um, she does all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has it going on, yep, <laughs> in the conventional sense. Um, but uh, she's a really good character in that. Mm. Um, the whole blank slate thing wasn't... That was a terrible bit of MacGuffinry. 
Uh, yeah, because it, yeah, it's it was rubbish. And yeah. she's still doing it for a blank state, even after the world collapsing in on itself. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, her. her uh, it's also um, like because I know there was a lot of complaining beforehand. It's like oh, Anne Hathaway, you know, what's she going to do the part? But I thought it was the, the first scene that she's in the film, which is where Bruce Wayne confronts her robbing a house. Mm-hmm. I just thought the moment when she switches from pretending to have accidentally been in there yeah. to just being like, well, you've caught me, yeah. was just a perfect term for the for Catwoman, who's always been this sort of like slightly flirtatious and quite uh, forthright character who's just kind of like, I'm not going to like pretend once once everyone's on the same page. I'll just act like me. Yeah, which she was great. She was a badass as well. Yeah. she could. Uh, she kicks could, a cane uh, out from a man. Yeah, <laughs> forces him on the floor. In, the, in, the, in our first scene with her, she does attack a disabled gentleman. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, so yeah, we loved Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very last scene of uh, of Batman four, <laughs> Batman eight, seven, Batman seven. Yeah. Um, is uh, we see uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt enters the Batcave, mm-hmm. and he is Robin. Yes, which is a bit clumsy. Yeah, because I've... I'm I'm not a comic book aficionado. No, I'm pretty sure Robin's name is Dick Grayson. There's a couple of different Robins. Is there a couple of different Robins? Yeah, is there? none of them are called Robin. Robin, and none of them are called John Blake. John Blake, right? Okay. Um, yeah, a friend of mine, uh, Jenny Whitwood, who writes for. Um, den of geek right uh, okay. was we were talking about this on twitter um she i i said that i i groaned because it's revealed it, his name is john blake all the way through the film and then he actually goes to collect some of bruce wayne's effects i think yeah what is left to him in the will is a, is a is a bag that's not very clear is it no it's not entirely clear yeah because because i didn't realize that he must be included in the will because when they're like reading the will out it just looks like he's kind of hanging out yeah. there like he's a ghost or something but then he goes to collect it. collect it with his spoils and yeah. he goes to collect it and they say give your real name and he's like yeah it's like it might be under my full name and then they say and yeah. the nurse says to him robin that's Cape a nice Man. name you should be i like that name robin there was kind there was a groan uh, from the audience at that yeah uh and she said that as a, as a fan she kind of felt betrayed by that not because of kind of, it was like a, a nod and a wink but it was kind of a nod and a pulling away because it was kind of like saying, "Ha, you see, geeks, you know who Robin is." Mm-hmm. Whilst at the same time, he's not in the film, though. Yeah. Because fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> um, which kind of seemed to be the attitude they were taking. It'd have been great if you'd have said, "You should use your real name," and he said, "Chris O'Donnell." <laughs> <laughs> um, that'd have been marvelous. But he becomes either the next Batman or uh, that, Robin. It's or... heavily. It's heavily implied that he's going to take over the cowl. Um, I hope he doesn't. I hope they don't continue though those characters on. No, I, I hope they. I, I hope they never make another Batman film again. If I'm yeah. perfectly honest, but because I do think that you know, for, for the fil- the flaws of this and the other films, it's a really cohesive trilogy, more or less. It works thematically, and you know, all the characters kind of resolve, and it kind of leaves you kind of knowing where people are going to go mm. forward. You know, uh, John Blake may become the new batman or the new or he may just decide not to and unless he's needed which i think is probably more more likely because he couldn't become batman again because they've got a big statue to him now good statue <laughs> it's a very nice good statue. Mm-hmm. yeah um i think if they were to continue on with even with the same cast it would be it would just you know spoil the work of you know a a very specific team of people in a very specific 
director who had a, a, a particular vision for it, really. I really don't want to see um, Joseph Love Hewitt be be a superhero. Yeah. I don't need He's that. He's already been in a G.I. Joe film. And... Oh, fucking hell, yeah. But he was he was a ninja in that, so you didn't really see him that much. Fair dues. Um, well, Batman is kind of a ninja. He he is as close to a ninja as as mainstream cinema gets, really. Bat ninja. Oh, that'd be even better. Imagine that. Um, so, where next? I mean, we've briefly touched on it. Where who who is is anyone lined up to take over that franchise? I don't think so. I mean, they've got to be. I think they'll probably leave it. I don't think they'll do what um, whoever it is who's behind the Amazing Spider-Man has done. And leap right in with it yeah. because origin story. Yeah, because they've already seen Batman that, Junior. Yeah, it's not, but it's only been you know seven years or whatever since we saw that origin story told, and we've seen they've seen with the Amazing Spider-Man that people are kind of unwilling to sit through an origin story so soon afterwards, especially when like the other ones kind of so iconic and fresh in their mind. If they're going to do it, I think they need to leave it for like. 10 years well when, when was the original tim burton batman released 1989 89 so where are we now 2012 yeah so we've had seven films in 23 mm. years yeah but four of them were in uh in eight of them because they because right. they were because they made them at a very rapid pace but we have had a batman film pretty much every three years yeah but, they, but some of them were closer together yeah. and, and there was a long hiatus between you know, Batman and Robin, which kind of burnt the earth, you know, like, and then Batman Begins, which everyone was very tentative about. I forget that Bane was in Batman and Robin mm. as a kind of background character. Yeah, who could oh. only shout Bane. Oh, I blanked that out. I found out today that Patrick Stewart was going to play Mr. Freeze in uh, Batman and Robin. That was their original choice. He wouldn't have been able to handle the puns. No. I he would have given them too much gravitas. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah. Well, all I'll, I'll say this is that the uh, the closing film of the Nolan trilogy is infinitely more satisfying than Batman and Robin. Yes, um, definitely. I was wondering, and this is all stems from a question uh, posed in the review of the Time Out review of um, the Dark Knight Rises, which is the review I think that I think is closest to what I uh, feel towards the film. Um, it said that the superhero film is still searching, pun intended, for its... The Western had The Searchers. Mm. Sci-fi had 2001. The superhero film is still looking for the film that uh, breaks the genre yeah, uh, and takes it into something more. Um, do you think that The Dark Knight Rises was Nolan's last shot at trying that or do you think that he's still got one do you think he's most likely to do that um i think that's probably the closest he or anyone else has come more so than the dark knight yeah i'd say so because i think this one tries more kind of thing there's there's kind of a sense with with both those films that they kind of they could be films in their own right that didn't feature superheroes like there are, there are elements of the Dark Knight that is kind of more crime drama that just happens to have people in capes and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Whereas this one, uh, because it's it's trying to do stuff about you know Occupy the Occupy movement and and. But I, I'll I'll just challenge you on that because okay. the the whole Wall Street Occupy thing really only lasts for like five or ten minutes. 
No, but there's a a big thing even before then where like Selena Kyle, the Catwoman, whatever, is talking to Bruce Wayne about the way in which the rich in Gotham have uh, been able to uh, have have lived too large for too long is the phrase that she says. And there's this there's this sense even before the sequence in the in the stock exchange of you know the idea that the rich in Gotham are not doing their part to help the people that is mentioned a couple of times in dialogue and there's this sense that the reason why bane is able to kind of rally people around him is because he's going after the people who feel alienated from the society but those people he rallies around him are the people he frees from prison but there's people around him even before he frees people from prison because he shows up at the prison with a massive crowd of people around them and i don't think they're all his uh disciples or whatever i think they are that that there's got to be normal people amongst them mm. and i think that's the reason why he is able to exert control over gotham after that is because he says to the poor and the, the, the normal people you know you take what the rich people have and i think that there's there's a theme in the film of the the disenfranchised the alienated the disaffected whatever uh finally being able to rally up against the people who have been shirking their responsibility but by the same token Mm. um he does get them to do what he wants by blowing up a stadium on national television and breaking the one person who can destroy the bomb's neck in front of everybody and blowing up all the bridges and having tanks on the streets that's true yes um it's muddled i could say that that whole sequence with the american football game just feels like it was just dropped in there mm. from another film, yeah. almost, doesn't it? Although it I mean, it's is, a hell of a money shot. It's yeah, that that whole the whole build up to it as well with the little kids singing the national anthem, yeah, and then and he goes, the, "Oh, it's a lovely tune." <laughs> it's like, "What a lovely voice!" Yeah, um, yeah that whole that whole sequence is it's kind of like the boat sequence in Dark Knight Rises, which is kind of like a mm. really well executed scene in and of itself, but, but kind feels of feels as if they've yeah. just kind of gone clunk. Like, oh, here we have this movie that flows from scene to scene very nicely. Let's stick in this big thing. Can I just say as well, I noticed it in uh, when he gets blown up, but mm. the mayor of Gotham City wears an awful lot of eyeliner. He's from Lost. Yeah, I recognise yeah. him. Who's he? What's his step He's Richard in the in Lost. He's the one who's immortal. I didn't get that far in Lost. Oh, he's an immortal. He's, oh, he's right. the one, he shows up. That makes sense for Lost. Do you think there's an extended cut of the Dark Knight Rises out there that perhaps allows the uh, I, elements to breathe slightly better? Because we, did we, we didn't get an extended cut of the Dark Knight Rises or Batman Begins, did we? No, I think Dark Nolan. Knight, Nolan's not Ridley Scott. I think he puts out. Thank fuck for that. He puts out the film that he he is happy with because he can. Because he can, and well, I think Ridley Scott can. He's just that like when people criticise the film he puts out, he then kind of doubles back and just kind of goes, yeah, "Oh well, here's actually, a nine-hour cut." Yeah, yeah like. Oh, and, and the studio said that I couldn't release this, so, you know, here's all this other stuff. I think he... Well, he actually says, way hey, man. Way hey, man. <laughs> here's me Ooh. version. That Ooh. sounded a bit Jamaican. I'd like to... <laughs> do you reckon there's a three-hour cut of the Hovis advert kicking around somewhere that he's going to release one day? One would hope so. Um, but I think that... I, d- I don't think there is an extended cut that he'll release at a later point. I think this this is the film that he wanted to put out. Uh and I think that's fine. Although I did, I was talking to uh, someone the other day. We both agreed that because there's so much stuff happening, it could easily have been more than one film. 
Yeah. Like, they could have done one film which ends with Bruce being thrown into that well, into that prison. Yeah. And then... I've got, issue, I've got an issue with that prison, but go And on. then it could be the cliffhanger, and then the second film is all about him in prison, the... Uh, depicting the way in which Gotham degenerates, which would probably iron out the issues about why it's such a weird mm. place to Degenerates live. Degenerates to being empty and yeah. no one having any particular problems. Yeah. And then, and then you know him coming back. So I think it does feel like they've tried, they've tried to cram in as much as possible. Where the fuck was that prison? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Freedonia. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I'm, I, he climbs out, and then you see a settlement in the background. Yeah, and you think, he's in a fucking desert there. Yeah. <laughs> does that mean that Bane stopped what he was doing and flew away and dropped him off in there, and then came back and? Yeah, he would kind of have to have been. Yeah. It's a, but in and itself, that prison idea is, is a yeah. cool idea. And that whole, uh, the whole segment mm. is really good. With the waiter from Shirley Valentine. Hmm? <laughs> With the waiter from Shirley Valentine yeah. is the prison doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, also, other weird casting of doctors, Tom Lennon, who is, uh, he's, uh, he's a comic actor little in Gary? the US. Yeah, Little Gary. Yeah. He plays mm. the doctor that Bruce Wayne goes to see. The one, the one who tells him he's got brain damage and stuff. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know it until, like, because he's actually, he shows up as a doctor in a lot of films, like in Knocked Up and stuff like that. He always oh, plays right. a doctor. And um, I just, like, saw his credits. It's like, The Dark Knight Rises as a doctor. Really? Interesting. Also writer of the uh, Night of the Museum movies. <laughs> no, never. Yeah, he he and his, his partner, Thomas Ben Garant, have written a book about how they basically write shitty move, studio movies for lots of money. Wow. Because <laughs> they had Herbie Fully Loaded as well. They, they just, they made, they've been very successful writing not very good films. Well, good, nice work if you can get it. Yeah. Um, where next for Nolan? Because, I mean, presumably with his track record, he could probably do uh, Ian Huntley the musical and they would fund it. Ah, oh, if only. <laughs> uh, I think... I just thought of a, a the horrible one... joke I could have made. <laughs> I think the one that he has expressed the most interest in doing next is a Howard Hughes biopic. Yeah. Focusing, because he was, he was going to do it... I'm not buying this Howard Hughes comparisons to Bruce Wayne at the start of the film because Howard Hughes was batshit crazy, pun mm. intended, and he went feral, whereas all Bruce Wayne had was a limp and a very neat goatee. <laughs> that is not a man who's living the life of a hermit. Well, that's that's the early stages. That's all that he was but he's, for the know, first In eight first years, Howard, years. Howard, Howard Hughes was pissing in jars and wearing, you know, watching the same film a hundred times a day. Or whatever. That's true. Uh, but maybe uh, give it another, like, five years. Right, okay. And he would be just strutting around in the Batman... <laughs> Uh, suits fighting invisible jokers oh, amazing. Um, but yeah a howard hughes film um... that's the, he, he he wanted to make it in the like i think he, that was the film he wanted to make right after batman begins but right the aviator kind of meant that they Pipped couldn't do it because it, yeah. it was too close and i think he said that there's enough there's now been enough time that they can i think he actually said that people have forgotten <laughs> that that people, film existed yeah. um i think that, that, that's pretty much what he said in interviews but i think his also would be more about you know the interesting howard hughes which is you know this the batshit crazy one mm -hmm. uh and the one that's kind of slightly dark and seedy and shows up in james elroy novels as like uh, a murderer and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably his next one. And right. I think I'd be interested. I'd be very interested to see what he would do uh, away from action films or films that have weird, tricky narratives, which is what he's been 
pretty much all he's done. So I think that'd be a, a big departure for he him. He has been accused, and I can see where this accusation comes from, that he's less a director and more a kind of confidence trickster mm. who builds these elaborate kind of uh, um, puzzles for you to watch rather yeah. than films with uh, stories. Yeah. They're like kind of labyrinthine. I mean, Inception was kind of the worst example of that, I guess. Yeah. And uh, Prestige as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just one big trick. Yeah. I mean, Prestige does it as a, as a theme in, in, in yes. and of itself that yeah. it is an illusion of a film. But again, I do think that the, the, the flip side to that is that they're often tricks in service of a sort of kernel of an idea or an emotional uh, driving force, uh, which is often men obsessed with grief who mm-hmm. by the end of the film either overcome it or are completely destroyed by it. Yeah. Which is kind of the overriding theme of his of his work uh, to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's kind of the, the, the thing that stops them from becoming just kind of dry. Because I think that would be, if it weren't for the human element, things like Inception and The Prestige would, for me, not work at all. But because they have, they have that emotional component, that's kind of why I like those two films. Yeah. Not as much as the films in which people, you know, dressed in... Uh, silly costumes beat the shit out of each other yeah well that's enough about following (laughs) (laughs) um yeah although memento is his best yeah i like i like the first two yeah most i think uh following i really like Mm. um following's amazing considering what it is and how much it costs (laughs) and how and they shot it on weekends for a year yeah he was like well we made a short film and it cost 700 quid and it was 10 minutes long so we Mm. decided we'd make one that was 10 times longer and just basically just extrapolated the numbers from there and shot it like a short film every weekend basically and yeah it's a great little piece of work but no one no one seems to have seen it, it and they, they did a, a nolan box set that was out on blu-ray that's just come out and yeah. it wasn't included i think that's one of those ones that they should that criterion <clears throat> need to get their hands on yeah i mean it's not a masterpiece but it's, no. it's certainly uh for a for a uh filmmaker who's gone on to uh, gone on to have the luxury of having un- unlimited budget and mm. full creative control yeah. to see that they started with a self-funded made on the weekend yeah. DIY little gem of a film really yeah. it's kind of yeah it is kind of uh, it's it's one of those ones which you would say is important more than it's good yeah because you know in the same way that you know Amblin is important because it was made by someone who went on to be the most successful filmmaker of all time mm. following it, is better than Amblin though yeah given that. Uh, you know following is made by someone who's gone on to be one of the two or three most successful filmmakers currently working certainly mm. the I think I think he probably even shades Michael Bay as the most popular one who's like working all the time as opposed to James Cameron who shits out a film every like half a decade. Once he's invented something new to play with. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah that was us wrapping up the Dark Knight Rises mm. uh, and Christopher Nolan's career yep. <laughs> at the end there. Um so yeah uh, that was a special um, edition of the Shot Reverse Shot podcast talking about the Dark Knight Rises. Um, if you haven't seen the film, then sorry, really sorry. <laughs> um, and if you have, um, yeah, I don't care what you think because <laughs> what we said goes. Yeah. Um, okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.